But it all works. So if you have a Bible with you, please open up to Romans chapter 12. So this morning I'm going to complete my series on the gifts of the Spirit. This will be my 14th message uh, in that series. I told you I like to find a topic, sink my teeth into it, and get as much out of it as I can. Today I'll be completing that series. So far from 1 Corinthians 12, we looked at nine gifts of the Spirit, what Paul refers to as the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and those are uh, discernment. Uh, actually, I broke them down into categories. One is I call the gifts of discernment, or the eyes of God, and that covered wisdom, knowledge, discernment. Another category were the gifts of power, and we looked at those as the hand of God, faith, healing, and miracles. The third category, the gifts of speech, the mouth of God, and we looked at tongues, interpretation of tongues, and, and prophecy. A couple of weeks ago, we began looking at the last category, um, uh, what I called uh, the gifts of passion, or the heart of God, and that's mercy, encouragement, and service. Uh, last couple of weeks, we looked at mercy and encouragement. Today, we will look at the gift of service. Um, some of you may have noticed that with this last section, we kind of made a move from 1 Corinthians 12 to Romans 12. And... Um, and so today we'll finish up the series by doing what I've usually done. We will define the gift. We will explain its purpose. Um, I will describe how it works and offer you a biblical example of the gift in work. At the end, we'll, we'll pray. Um, and so, Romans 12, if you are there, follow along as I begin reading in verse 3. For by the grace giving me, given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment, and in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is encouragement, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Lord, I thank you for your word and the truth that's in your word. I pray that your word and have its full effect, its full impact on us. So like, like hands on the clay of a potter's wheel, Lord, shape us and mold us and make us exactly what you purposed in your heart for us to be. Lord, may we be soft, moldable clay in your hands. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I've told you before, it's worth repeating, the, the letter to Romans that Paul wrote was a few years after uh, the letter to the Corinthians, and he's still using some of the same language. He's still using some of the same metaphor to explain how the gifts of the Spirit work in the church, how it works in a, in a community. There's lots of people. They all, and, and just as people are different, there are different gifts that God gives to different people for the purpose of how they function in the life of the body. It applies to the church then. It applies to us now. Um, we are one body in many parts. And so that metaphoric language carries over from 1 Corinthians 12 to Romans 12. 
So let's define this, this final gift in, in this series, um, the gift of service. Um, some translations, if you're, if you're used to using a, a different translation than the New International Version, I usually preach out of the New International. Sometimes I'll use examples from the Amplified Bible or the Message. I like the way the Message puts things. There's a couple of newer translations out there. One is called The Voice. It's more of a paraphrase. And... Um, I like the, the little angles and twists it puts on things. It gives me a, a fresh way of looking at scripture. And there's, one, there's another translation that's still in the works, and it's called the Passion Translation. Just the title of it alone kind of hooks my heart. I'm thinking, ooh, that sounds pretty interesting. And so they're working diligently to get book by book um, published for that. Eventually, there'll be the whole thing. Anyway, the gift of service. In other translations, this gift is sometimes referred to as the gift of helps. I find it interesting that in Scripture, there, there are things that Paul, the Apostle Paul, refers to as spiritual gifts that we might just think, hey, that's just natural ability. I think there are natural abilities, but then I think there are supernatural abilities. And at least in this part of his word, he describes these as spiritual gifts. So the gift of service is the special ability that God gives to certain members of the body of Christ to invest the talents they have into the lives of other people. The Greek word used here in Romans 12 is diakonia. It's where we get the English word deacon. And it means service or ministry. Strong's Concordance actually adds this. It's the service of those who prepare and present food. They wait at tables. And much like the spiritual gift of mercy, the, the gift of service has a very practical Application. Matter of fact, if you look in the Amplified Bible, when it gets to, to service, it refers to it as practical service. So what's the purpose of this gift? The purpose, the purpose of the gift of service, or if you're used to it being referred to as helps, is to joyfully work alongside others and help them complete their God-given tasks. The purpose of this gift is to help others to increase their effectiveness. They accomplish this. The person with the gift of service accomplishes this by partnering their heart to serve with the gifts, talents, and abilities that another person has or another group has. In my experience, people who have this gift, they're loyal. Boy, they're dependable. You know, they say they're going to be there. They're going to be there. They're going to be there early. They're detail-orientated. And often, often, they tend to work very well with strong leaders. You'll, you'll see, like, I remember working with John Paul Jackson, and there would be people, there would be this gravitational pull uh, toward him. People wanted to help him all the time. Very strong leader, needed lots of help to do the things he was going to do. He had lots of these kind of people around him helping to do it. Sometimes they're administrative. They're, they're really good at doing the office work or doing the grunt work or making the phone calls or whatever's necessary to get the job done. So I'm kind of flowing into, from purpose, into how does it work. Um, typically, people with the gift of service, they prefer to work behind the scenes. There are some people, man, they just love to be up front. They can't, they can't wait until the spotlight's on them. That's usually not this kind of person. They, they, they like to work behind the scenes. They seem to find joy in helping, especially if it's out of the spotlight. They like to lighten the load of other people. They alleviate the burdens of some other person's responsibilities. And typically, they do this humbly. They do it sacrificially. 
People with uh, the gift of service, they see a need, um, and they take action to help. They don't have to be told what to do. Sometimes they'll be the first one to see the need, and they'll just run to go fill it. Why? It's in their heart to do so. You know, so, so imagine if there's you know, four of us praying for one person, and, and the person's heart's being touched, and they, and they begin to cry. The person with the gift of service is going to be the one who's going to run and get the tissues because they know that's going to be helpful in that moment. Sure, they'll help pray for the person, but they want to do something practical that's going to be helpful in a, in a real and tangible way. These people uh, function very well inside and outside the church. Um, inside the church, the, you know, the, the, these people, these helpers, um, are often those who volunteer to work regularly around the church. They'll be the ones who make the coffee and set up the chairs, and empty the trash cans, and, and do a, a long list of, of other things. Outside the church, you could probably find them. They'll be the one who's cutting the grass of an injured neighbor, or they're the one who looks in on the elderly. If, they, if a friend is sick or, or someone just gave birth to the, a baby, they just got home from the hospital, they'll be one of those people that make a meal so that they can practically love on that family uh, in a time of need to help alleviate the burden and lighten the load. Here's some uh, general characteristics of a person with the gift of service. Their basic motivational drive is to demonstrate love by meeting practical needs. They're a doer. That's how they love. Acts of service would be their love language. They're diligent, and they're willing to sacrifice time and energy in order to see the task completed. They express themselves uh, most satisfactorily by doing tangible work. They serve by doing. Not so much by explaining or teaching or discussing or giving or organizing, though they may have some of those qualities as well. They're, if this is their primary gift, you know, they, they love with, with practical acts of service. You, know? you can count them on them to be the people who stick around at the end of a project. They're the ones washing dishes after everyone else has gone home. They, they probably enjoy the party best if they could be in the kitchen or at the barbecue pit, or they're the ones handing out, you know, food. Most people in the world, they want to be served. But not these people. They want to serve. The world's a much better place uh, because of them. Our lives are better because they're in our lives. Some of the strengths of a person with the spiritual gift of service, they tend to be one-man armies. God gives them special grace to not only get the task done, but, but they do it with often with great humility. Especially if it's the dirtiest jobs. It's like you, know, you look in and just been a great party, the stack of dishes in the sink, and somebody's thinking to themselves, oh, man, <laughs> I don't want to have to look at that. Give them a few minutes, and, uh, and they'll do it. We visited our family a few weeks ago, and, um, and uh, there's a, a family friend, and whenever the, the you know, two-thirds of the party's over, you kind of get the feeling like, oh, we're on the downhill slide of this, right? It's starting to, to wind down. She's already in the kitchen. She's the one wrapping up the food, and and clean the dishes. She'll be running the vacuum while other people are walking out the door. She's got this gift of service. It just oozes from her. Huge blessing. And you couldn't stop her. I mean, it's like, oh, you don't have to do this. She wants to do this. I love doing this. This is, it's not like it's a, 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 a drudgery, but it's, 
It's, it's who they are. It makes them, feel, makes them feel good. They do have some weaknesses. I think people with the spiritual gift of service, they constantly have to deal with the temptation of being overcommitted. Right? They have a hard time saying no. Somebody asks them to do something, it's their heart to help, so you know, their calendar can fill up like really, really quick. And this can lead to stress and frustration for them, and sometimes it spills over onto the families as well. So, so good boundaries um, are really important for uh, people with the gift of service. If you're married to a person like that, your life is so much better, but every once in a while you may have to come around them and say, say honey, it would be really good to stop right now. You know, we need to take a little break, or we need a little time just, you know, just for us. Sometimes, again, weaknesses. Sometimes people with this spiritual gift of service, they, because they're so driven to help other people, they can get priorities out of order, because they're so tuned in to the physical, practical needs of other people. This person, give them a choice between leading a prayer meeting or cleaning the home of someone who's in the hospital. Boy, they'll probably take the option of to clean that person's home every time. So for, for all these reasons, it's easy to take advantage of a person uh, with a, a servant's heart. You know, I've kind of seen that happen repeatedly over the years in the church where somebody has, you know, they've just been so diligently faithful to serve. And every time the doors are open, they're the first one there, the last one to go home. And, so it makes me sensitive to those kind of people. So when you hear me say things like, hey, family first. If you, if you had to choose between family and church, I'm telling you as your pastor, I want you to choose family first. Right? It's because I've, kinda, I've worked with some wonderful people with this gift. And sometimes family could take a back seat. Um, I think early on in our marriage that I kind of operated this way a whole bunch. And I had to learn some things. And... You know, it's great to say yes and want to help, but there are times where there are higher priorities, um, and those priorities usually have uh, the face of my wife uh, and my children. So family first. It's a, it's a good way to kind of keep things in a, in a healthy balance. And, and for that reason, being, I think I'm kind of sensitive to it, and so I want people to not be taken advantage of. I don't want people to burn out on church activities and and so we operate, we, we offer a handful of stuff throughout the week with this concept in mind. Go where the life is. Do what has life on it for you. And do just that. You know? We don't, we don't have lots. The, the church doesn't exist. I'm going up on a rabbit trail here. I can't help myself. The church doesn't exist so that the church can continue to exist. That's not why we're here. Right? And so a lot of churches are program-driven because if you have programs, then people are attracted to the programs, and then they come to your church, and your church gets bigger, and that means the church is better, and you feel validated, and la, 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 blah. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I don't think big is bad, and I wouldn't mind if we had more people here. I just think, I just think using big as a primary motivation for the church is really bad. You begin to sacrifice purpose for numbers, you know. So what's the purpose? Why are we here? Why do we do this? It's for relationship. It's for community. And so that we would enjoy life together. So we have stuff during the week so that there's a, we provide opportunity for your lives to intermingle with one another. And we share life together. 
And we share, we share our spiritual journey with one another. We learn from one another in that process. It's, so maybe you're sitting and you're thinking, I think maybe I have this gift, you know? You know, so do you enjoy helping others become more effective in their work? Do you prefer the labor behind the scenes? When someone's doing a job poorly, is it first, your first instinct to help them instead of to criticize them? Do you prefer to work in a supportive role instead of a leadership capacity? When you hear someone, you hear someone with needs, do you offer your services, if at all possible? When someone asks you for your help, do you find it difficult saying no? Well, if you've answered yes to any of those questions, you just might have the spiritual gift of service. And so churches tend to have a lot of those people, and we, we, we burn them out. I don't want to do that. I, I want to honor and respect those people because our lives run a whole lot better because of them and when they're able to function in the gifts God's given them. That makes sense? Okay. Okay, a biblical example. It's 11.11. Biblical example of the gift of service. Acts chapter 6, verses 1 to 7. This is just classic text, I think, that applies well um, for this gift. Let me read it to you, then I'll, I'll kind of expound a little bit on what's going on in the text. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, and we're talking about the early church, the first century church, Jesus has... Risen from the dead, he's ascended. The day of Pentecost is common. It's been poured out on the, on the first century church. The church has been birthed. And now it's functioning. Now it's operating. They're, they're in community at this point. And when you're in community, sometimes you know, problems arise. So it says, in those days, there's a problem. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve, the apostles, gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and also Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Theo, and Parmenas, and uh, Nicolas. They're pretty good with those names, huh? Or not. From Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed, laid their hands on them, uh, and laid their hands on them. So, the word of God spread. The numbers of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Great text. So what's going on here? The Hebrews were the Jews who were more inclined to embrace the Jewish culture and were mostly from Judea. The Hellenistic uh, Hellenists were the Jews who were more inclined to embrace Greek culture, and they were from all over the Roman Empire. For the most part, the Hebrews tended to regard the Hellenists as unspiritual compromises with Greek culture. And the Hellenists regarded the Hebrews as the holier-than-thou 
traditionalists. There were suspicions between the two groups. Could you imagine that there would be groups, that there would be factions within the church? Lordy, lordy, lordy. We thought this was new to us, right? This is back. This is where we're at. Acts chapter 6, man. This thing hasn't even been going all that long, and there's already groups. So apparently some of the Hellenistic Jews believed that the widows from, from their segment of, of, the, of the church, um, uh, among the Hebrew Jews, was, uh, they, they thought the Hebrew Jews' uh, widows were getting better care. Now the text doesn't, doesn't suggest that any of this oversight was intentional. Um, it was more likely poor administration and supervision since better administration seems to help solve the problem in any congregation. I don't care really how big or small it is. It's easy for some person or some group of persons needs to be overlooked. And this was a pretty large group of people. Uh, so there's the making here for a church split. I mean, it's just, you know, it's just ripe for it, you know. I've been a Christian a long time. I've seen church splits over, over the most foolish of issues. I've seen a church split over the color of the paint, you know. The sh it wasn't even like, you know, harsh difference in colors, you know. It was the shade of green that was used to paint the front of the church. I'm like, guys, are you kidding me? You're gonna, your whole group of people is going to leave because the green wasn't as dark as they wanted the green to be. That's amazing to me. You know, we'll split over anything. <laughs> and so I've seen churches split over foolish issues, but this isn't, a, this isn't necessarily a foolish issue, right? This is no small, small thing. If there was indeed the withholding of food from widows for theological purposes, hey, that's a fight worth having. And so I think it's good that this was addressed here. This was no little thing. Throughout the churches, uh, throughout the ages, the church has done far worse. And, but this here, this potential catastrophic problem was dealt with, and I think it was dealt with really well. So I think the Hellenists were right in their hearts, and the Hebrews were right in their facts. Um, you know, perfect conditions for a church, but um, some things never change. But the apostles were wise in delegating uh, these responsibilities. God had not called the apostles to be everything to the church. God has and he will up raise up other people, especially people with the gift to serve, um, in different ways. Now, it didn't mean that the apostles thought that, you know, considered that the work of Cleaning up the widow's dinner table was beneath them at all. I just think it's this here speaking to the handling of practical administration. You know, there were financial and practical details relevant to caring for the widows. A table at that time meant a place where a money changer did his collecting and exchanging the money. These deacons, if I can use that term, were elected to oversee the distribution of these monies and provision to the needy in the fellowship. There was a practical need of food distribution and it needed to be addressed. A person with a gift of service, they're perfect for this task. Just absolutely. So what were the qualifications they looked for? They had to be from among you. So somebody was part of your clan, somebody was in your group, your crew. You should have a relationship with them, maybe somebody you're friends with. They had to be known to be full of the Spirit. Wow, this is just amazing to me, right? This is just a practical task. It's a regular practical task to be done in the church, but they look for someone who is full of the Spirit. Maybe there is a place for this spiritual wubba wubba stuff in our lives. 
This screams of the practical application of the gifts of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So, who do you ask to serve? One known to be full of the Holy Spirit, and not just that, but wisdom. They had to be wise. The idea behind full of the Spirit and full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom is that these men should be both spiritually minded and practically minded. Not always an easy combination of people to find, you know. People tend to go to one extreme or the other. Why did they choose seven people? It doesn't say, say in Scripture, but I'm thinking, I don't know, seven days in a week? Maybe one guy each got a day of the week to oversee the task. It didn't overload any one person. It's also interesting to know that all seven of the people that they chose had Greek names, indicating that they were probably Hellenists them, themselves. And it shows great sensitivity to the group of people that was, had been offended. You know, your, your people will make sure that your people's widows' needs are being met. Strategically, I think that was, that was a wise, wise choice. Now, nowhere in Acts are these men called deacons, but most, most um, commentators uh, consider that this, this is where the, that, the sense of that office came from and the first fulfillment of it. The word deacon simply means servant, and these men most uh, certainly had a servant's hearts. So what was the benefit? What was the fruit of the... They, they resolved this problem well by getting people with, with servant's hearts to, to solve the problem. What were the benefits? There were, there were many, right? The prayer and ministry of the word wasn't neglected. The, the people with gifts to do that, they were able to continue to do that. That's a good thing for the community. <laughs> the tables actually got waited on. The Hellenistic uh, Jewish widows received the distribution of food. It's probably the most important thing next to the, to the word, right? These, these sweet ladies, their needs were met. The word of God was spread. The scripture goes on to tell us in verse 7. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. This is part of the fruit of what happens when you have people with the right gifts in the right place doing the right thing at the right time. And it says, a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Dang, that's almost miraculous. You start getting religious people saved. Wow. So because this situation was handled with wisdom and sensitivity to those who were offended, a potentially divisive issue was diffused, and the gospel continued to grow. This is good. It had to be God. You know what? The church and the world, that needs many people. Uh, with the gift of service. So, just a kind of summary of the, the series. Um, I've thoroughly, personally, I've thoroughly enjoyed uh, teaching this series on the gifts of the Spirit. I've taught on different gifts in the past, but never have I taken uh, the whole list of them uh, in a chunk and did it in a series. For me, um, it's been fun to take a small portion of scripture dissected into digestible bites and, and, uh, and offer it to you. Don't we know life is hard? You know? Life is better with Jesus. It's still hard sometimes with Jesus, but life's better with Jesus. And so as your pastor, one of the things that drives me is I want to help you in your relationship with him. So, How many people 
might be some of the older folks here. How many people remember the Westminster Catechism? Anybody remember that? Remember childhood, right? You know, what is the chief end of man? One of the questions of the Westminster. Right? Tom knows, right? What is it, Tom? Glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Exactly. The chief end of man. They saw it as the, chief, the, the crowning chief end of who we are and why we exist is to bring glory to God, to enjoy him forever. I love that. Man, I think they got it right. And I tell you what, it's, it's that type of insight. It's that type of um, philosophy. It drives me. I, I couldn't agree more. I, I'm of this heart that the purpose of Christianity... Creation, the, the, the incarnation, the resurrection, <laughs> and, and, the, and when the second coming actually come, arrives, that all of this, all of this God has done for the purpose of relationship. So that we as individuals can relate to him intimately, and then the overflow of that, the fruit of that, is that we would love one another effectively. Right? This is a spiritual relationship. Our relationship with God, it's a spiritual thing. And I, I believe, I'm convinced. And, and the reason why I took 14 sermons <laughs> to teach on these gifts is that if you want to have a spiritual relationship with God, the spiritual gifts are going to help you do that. It's going to help you do that more effectively. Most of these gifts... Talk about some type of perception, insight, and communication. Even in my natural relationships, if I'm more attentive to Nadine, if I'm more perceptive of what's going on in her life, right? if I can see with just a, like a twinge on the side of her eye that she might be in pain, and I perceive that and then respond to it, right? as a husband, that's a good thing to do. right? That's, that's better in our relationship. I'm able to perceive even subtle things. Maybe something nobody else would pick up in the room. But because we're close, I'm able to perceive it. And then if I'm able to dialogue with her, if we can communicate effectively, then our relationship goes to healthier and deeper levels. Well, I mean, that's true in my marriage. It's true in my children, that my ability to listen to them and, and uh, communicate back to them in effective ways. It makes for a much more healthy relationship as a father to, to kids. It certainly has been um, valuable tools in how I relate to people in people who are my friends or people in my community as a pastor, undoubtedly. We, we all agree that to the, degree that to the degree that we can perceive and communicate at a more effective level, the relationship is better. That, that's true <laughs> vertically. It's true horizontally. The gifts of the Spirit enable us to do both. Some of the gifts of the Spirit, like the prophetic gifts, that, that's about this kind of communication that's going on, right? But certainly the gifts of, of service and the way we describe gifts of mercy, that's saying that this is happening. The horizontal relationship to one another happens more effectively. Why is your pastor that I take all this time? Because I think with a healthier relationship with God is the foundation for everything else. <laughs> Scripture says that we love because he first loved us. This I know. All these years as a, 
as a Christian. When my relationship with Jesus is in a healthier place, I'm a better husband. I'm a better father. I'm a better pastor. When that relationship deteriorates, and it does from time to time, right? Doesn't it? I know. I find it harder to be a patient and loving husband, father, or pastor. You know? But when he's loving me, my ability to have love, my ability to perceive, to communicate, to be merciful, to serve, increases exponentially. So this is what I want to see happen. I want to see you own your spiritual relationship. I want to see you own your journey. I want to see you own your personal relationship with God and have it become everything that it's supposed to be, believing this, that if that happens, then every other area of your life is going to be it's going to be more fruitful. Whatever God's called you to do, the relationships in your life, the problems that you're struggling with. And so, so that's why I've done all this. So I really believe that the, the gifts of the Spirit enhance our relationship with God and our ability to love and serve one another. I hope that this series has been beneficial to you as well. Now, most Sundays we've been doing ministry time, but we got a potluck coming up, so I'm just going to pray a general prayer. We'll pray a blessing on the food, and then I think Sheila's in the kitchen. We'll have Sheila come out and give us some instruction from Sheila on, uh, on how we're going to actually practically do the, uh, the thing. So just let me pray, and then I'm going to give the mic to you. Okay, darling? Mm-hmm. All right. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you for your goodness and your kindness. Uh, in our life. We thank you, Lord, for your presence in our life. We thank you for the gifts of your Spirit. And Lord, we ask that you would pour out all the gifts of your Spirit, even the ones that we didn't cover in this series. Pour them out on Charlottetown Community Church. Stir up the gifts within our heart and let it be to this end that we would know you better, that we'd know your heart and your mind and your ways better, that there would be healthier interaction, clearer, cleaner, interaction between us and you, and that the fruit of that would be that we would more effectively love one another. And, oh God, would you take all that, would you take all that love, and then let us be effective outside the four walls of this church as well, loving the rest of the people in our community. And, Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. You guys have a wonderful day, but before you go anywhere, please... Please listen to, uh, <laughs> oh, my. yes, I remember your name. My, I'm trying to get my iPad to do what I want to do. Uh, 